if you would, grab your Bibles and go to Luke 18. Looking at the persistent widow tonight. Mm, yeah, I just heard someone say, mm, that's the way I feel. It's a great passage. Welcome back for those of, of you who left and got a little sunshine. Um, I, hope and tra- I hope and trust spring break was a, a time for growth for you as well as a time of relaxation. Um, and I'm glad you're back. Uh, for those of us who are in school, most of us, um, just somewhat of an exhortation. I'm right there with you. Uh, we have one final stretch, and I'm sure you're looking to the end, especially those of you who are, who are graduating and don't plan to continue your education. Um, in terms of a race, I know some of you are runners here. There's one final lap, and all you got to do is uh, make your way around um, and not fall down in burning crash. So stay the course. The end is near. Luke 18, though, uh, that parable of the persistent widows, so wonderful. It's a well-known parable and a wonderful parable, and I trust that with the help of the Spirit, I can make it clear to you tonight. There's so much here. I just got to say that. Um, yeah, so, so much, so much here. I, I've often heard a preacher say that when he preaches, listen to this, he, he says he only delivers 10% about, uh, of what he actually knows about a passage. And uh, though I wouldn't go to that extreme in terms of uh, Luke 18, I, I sort of feel that burden here tonight at the end of my study I'm telling you, my mouth was just dropped um, because I never plunged the depths of this text. And I'm so very thankful that I've somewhat done that now. The Lord has taught me so much, and I hope to relay, relay that to you tonight. Let's read it, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, uh, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so, uh, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I always find myself in love with this parable. I'm sure many of you feel the same way. For the very reason that you get the application of the parable before you even get to the end of the parable. It's kind of nice. Only if the gospel writers could do that for us. All the time, right? Look at verse 1 again with me. This is Luke. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. We, we don't have to try to make up some clever application for our text tonight because Luke gives it to us right there in verse 1 from the start. I, I didn't have to search for the application of this passage as I prepared for this message because the Spirit, through the pen of Luke, There in verse 1, gave it to me right from the start. Luke says plainly there that the reason Jesus gave this parable was to the effect that they, the disciples, ought always to pray and not lose heart. Some of your versions say to show that they should always pray and not lose heart. No matter the version, the application is the same, ladies and gentlemen. No matter how many times you read it, the application is the same, always. 
And actually, if you happen to have a handout, you can see that at the bottom of the page, the application is the same. I dare not tamper with God's word. That is the application that I have for you tonight. I want you to walk away from this parable tonight with two commands, uh, two demands in your mind, and that is this. One, always pray, and two, don't lose heart. Always pray and don't lose heart. But I have to do some work in between then and now. I can't just read the parable to you, point you to verse one, and then dismiss you for the night. And some of you are saying, yeah, sure, you could do that, Deontay. Might make for a short sermon, uh, but I just can't do that. And really, if we don't talk about the context of this parable and the truths of this parable, then we're going to miss the richness of it. We're going to miss the fullness of this parable, and it is full. And so stick with me tonight as we make our way around verse 1, the application and hope to bring it to light. I want to talk to you first about the timing of this parable, the timing of this parable. Why was this parable given when it was given? We know why Jesus gave it to his men, right? That's verse 1. He wanted them to always pray and not lose heart. But in talking about the timing of this parable, I want to ask the question, why here? Why at this point? Why did Jesus give this parable when he did? And and really, this is a contextual question. And it's a very important contextual question. Hear me out, because if you don't understand the timing of this parable, then you really won't understand what Jesus is telling you to always pray about. I'll say that again. If you don't understand the timing of this parable or the context of this parable, some of you have read this over and over and over again. If you don't understand the context, then you really won't understand what Jesus is telling you to pray about, what he's telling you to always pray about. Jesus isn't telling us here in Luke 18, hear me out, this might be a shock to some of you, to always pray about anything in general. It's not the point of this text. In other places in scripture, we're told to pray without ceasing in general. Luke chapter 11, verse that's five, pray without ceasing. You guys know these passages. In other places, we're told to lift up any and every petition to our Lord. Ephesians 6, pray in the spirit at all times, he says. In other places, we're told that. But here in our text tonight, that's not the point, to pray anything in general. Luke isn't saying in verse 1 that Jesus wanted his disciples to always pray about everything, but rather that Jesus wanted them to pray about something in particular. Jesus' goal in telling this parable was that the disciples would continually pray, hear me out, for one thing in particular. One thing. Let me set the context for you. Prior to this discourse here, our Lord had given his disciples some very, very sad news. Very sad news. The type of news that would have hindered their prayers. The type of news that would have caused them to lose heart. The the type of news that would have stopped them from doing exactly what this illustration was intended for them to do. At the end of chapter 17, Jesus informed the disciples that he was leaving them and they weren't going to see him for a while. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes. The one whom they had ministered alongside of for the last three years, the one whom had taught them everything they knew about the ministry, the one whom they had left their previous lives for, they left it all behind for this Christ, for the Messiah. And in chapter seven, he says their leader was leaving them 
And what was going to follow, they weren't going to like. Actually, look at chapter 17 with me, if you will. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Here in verse 22, Jesus is referring to the days when Messiah, the Son of Man, is a messianic term pulled from the book of Daniel, where Messiah will finally establish his visible kingdom on earth and set all things right, an event that the disciples had long been waiting for. With the Pharisees asking a question about when the earthly kingdom was going to come back in verse 20, Jesus takes the opportunity to share with his disciples some, some heart-riching news concerning this desired kingdom. And he tells them in verse 22 that it wasn't coming when they thought it was coming. Guys, hear me out. This would have been heart-depressing news for the disciples. Heart-depressing. More than you and I will ever know ever know. And you really get the sense of that from the word Jesus used in verse 22, if you're looking at it, which is translated in our English Bibles, desire. He, said, he says, the days are coming when you will desire. That is the Greek verb, epithumio, which means to have a deep desire, a deep desire, not just any desire, to have a strong craving, the type of craving that becomes greed if it goes unchecked. The type of desire that can turn into lust if it isn't closely watched. That type of craving. The days are coming, Jesus says in verse 22, when you will epithumia, when you will long, when you will strongly crave to see one of these days, days of the Son of Man. And then the despairing news, the depressing news at the end of verse 22, and you will not see it. You will not see it. Guys, listen to me. They long so much for these days. They long so much to see this kingdom. They were in denial when Jesus told them it wasn't coming. I mean, have you ever been like that before? Right? You wanted something so bad, and someone said you weren't getting it or it wasn't coming, and you're like, I can't believe that. I, just can't. I won't believe that. That's how the disciples felt about this coming earthly kingdom when the Lord was going to set all things right. That's why they refused to listen to him when he told him he was going to die. There's a sense in which that's the reason Peter rebuked our Lord. You remember that event, don't you? He says, never shall it be, Lord. It is because they wouldn't believe, Peter wouldn't believe that the kingdom wasn't coming next. Actually, look over to chapter 19, verse 11. You'll see this. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, another illustration, because he was near to Jerusalem. Passion Week is just around the corner. And because they, the disciples, supposed, what? That the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. <laughs> this is crazy. He, he just told them a little while ago in chapter 17, you're going to desire to see this. But you're not. And here they are in, in verse 11 of chapter 19, supposing it says that the kingdom was to appear. Such a strong desire this was. Such a strong craving to see the days of the earthly kingdom that it gave them selective hearing when it came to whether or not it was coming. And maybe some of you remember Acts chapter 1, post-resurrection, right? 
The church is about to begin. He, he's given them the great commission. He, he told them, wait in Jerusalem. You're going to receive the spirit, and then you're going to go out and start doing what, I, what I've commanded you to do. But even then, they still had one thing on their mind. Guess what that is? The kingdom. The days of the Son of Man, they, they ask in Acts chapter 1, listen to this. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, I can almost hear it in their, in their voices. Is the, king, is the kingdom coming now, Lord? Well, what about now, Lord? Are you going to establish it now? Oh, Lord, it has to be coming now, right? It's coming, isn't it? Is now the time? It's exactly what he told him in chapter 17. You're going to epithumia. You're going to crave so deeply to see this. You're going to want it. It makes sense why they wanted it, though. The establishment of the earthly kingdom was the time when Messiah was going to set things straight. It was the time when Messiah was going to do away with the unrighteousness of the unbelieving world and establish his visible reign on earth. It was the time when Messiah was going to free his people from their oppressors and give them all that he had promised to give them. And for the Jews, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, for the disciples, this was everything. The Messiah's here. Freedom's here. It's coming. It's coming. They were ready for a new age. They were ready for the Christ to put things back into order. They were ready to be freed from the difficulties of this life. Roman oppression. We're tired of it. But Jesus tells them back in verse 22 of chapter 7, again, depressing news. He says, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. You will long for it, he says, but it's not coming yet. Are you there? Are you in their shoes now? Can you, can you somewhat feel it? The, the days are coming when you will crave for this, but you won't get it. But that's not all the sad news. Go back to chapter 17. That was the sad news of verse 22. Then going on, he goes on to tell them that he was going to die before it came. <laughs> Look at verse 25. But first... He must suffer, that is the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And so one, the kingdom is not coming yet. I'm not setting things straight yet. But then even more, two, I'm going to die before it happens. And of course, this just didn't make sense. <laughs> the Christ? Suffering? And of course, they didn't want to make sense of it. Look at verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all. Another example. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Here it is. You're going to desire to see me, and you're not going to see it. I'm going to die. But listen to this. And you don't even know when I'm coming back. 
He, he says, it's going to be like the days of Noah. When people are so preoccupied with things, the mundane, and then judgment suddenly comes upon them. Sudden. It's going to be like the days of Lot, where people are going to be so engrossed with other things. You know the story. But then judgment suddenly comes upon them. He, he says, my return is, is going to be like a thief in the night. No one is going to know when it's coming. It's going to be swift and sudden. People are going to be so focused on the ordinary things of life, eating, sleeping, building, and then bam, judgment. You're going to desire to see me so bad, but you're not. I'm going to die before it even happens. And you don't know when I'm coming back. All of this news to the disciples, it, it sort of came bulldozing at them all at once. And this was devastating news. This was discouraging news for them. But then we enter in chapter 18. Look at chapter 18. Now, some of your versions say, and he told them a parable. He's flowing from the preceding context. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Ladies and gentlemen, the parable of the persistent widow, here it is. It isn't meant to cause us to pray about anything. The parable of the persistent widow wasn't meant to cause the disciples to pray in general. It was meant for the disciples to always pray for this. Listen, his return. Jesus wanted his disciples to never stop crying out for him to come in light of the news that he had just given them. You're not going to see the kingdom. I'm not establishing it. I'm, I'm about to die and you don't know when I'm coming back. Jesus wanted his disciples to never stop crying out for him to come. This parable was purposed to lead them in a continual prayer of this. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Maranatha, as John puts it. Make things right, Lord. And you actually see that if you just read the parable and really seek to make sense of it. You see within the parable itself of the persistent widow that Jesus isn't telling us to pray about anything. He's telling us to pray about one thing. Look at verse 3 of chapter 18. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to this judge and saying, give me what? Justice against my adversaries. Give me justice. Look, da look down at verse 5. He says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her what? Justice. You think that's it? Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not the Lord give what? Justice. Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? And then again, I mean, he caps it he, He's given this to us. He's bringing this to us so clearly. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Here's a question for you. What's going to happen when our Lord returns to earth? He's going to deal out justice. He's going to deal out justice. 
He will judge the unbelieving world and, 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 and give to the saints. He, he will judge the unbelievers and the believers. And, and, and for the believers, he will give to them all that he has promised them. He will free them from their oppressions as this lady is crying to be freed from to the judge. He, he, he will glorify them. He will honor them. He will crown them. He will make all things right for them. Jesus wants us to be persistent in praying for his return. He wants us to always pray like the widow in this parable for what? Justice. He wants us to pray for freedom from our oppressors and freedom from the difficulties of this life. Again, it's a call to this, to always pray this, come quickly, Lord. Bring justice, Lord. Set things right, Lord. I mean, put yourself in the place of the disciples. Hopefully you already see it. He's just told them he's, he's leaving them. He, he has just told them that he's, he's going to die. And that the time of his return was going to be swift, like a thief in the night. They didn't know when it was coming. This was the news that would have put a stop to their cries for justice, would it not? This was the type of news that would have deterred their hope in terms of whether or not he truly was going to come back. This, this would have been the type of news that would have caused them to, to lose their craving for his return. And so Jesus tells them this parable, this illustration to help their doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me out. There are going to be times... There are going to be days, some of you are in that spot, when you're going to want to see him face to face. And, and here's the sad news, and you're not. There are going to be days when we, if you're a believer, I'm talking to you, when we with the saints in Revelation 6, we're, we're screaming out, Lord, avenge us. But listen, there, there's going to be nothing but silence. There are going to be times where we are going to be crying out to God, God, please make things right. And there will seem to be no response. There are going to be times when we want to see this world made right. I feel that. Do you? Does this speak to you? C can you hear this? Do you long for heaven? The disciples craved for it. They just wanted things to be made right. I, I, I love what the Lord has given me here. I, I love my wife. I love all the things that I have here. But I want to go home. I, I want to see him face to face. I know you feel the same way. I know you still feel the same way. But listen to me. Sometimes we're going to really feel that. I don't know there's people here who, who are dealing with sicknesses. People here who are struggling. Don't you see? Don't, don't you feel their pain? That they want to see the Lord come? That they want to be there when, when there's no more sickness, no more crying, 
No more sadness. I mean, if I don't feel it for my own self, I can feel it for them. Times where we cry out, Lord, come, and and we're not going to hear anything. What are we to do then? Well, we come to Luke 18, and we are to read this parable, this illustration. We are to come to Luke 18, and we do what it says to do. Never stop praying. Never lose heart when it comes to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This parable encourages us to do that. It strengthens us to do that, which is why I want to move into talking about it now, the truths of this parable. What are the truths present within this parable that lead us, that were meant to lead the disciples to never stop praying for his justice? What are the truths of this parable that lead us to always pray for his return, for for him to come and give us justice to set things straight? Well, here's the first truth. It's a great truth. Unlike the judge of this parable, which we're going to talk about soon, unlike the judge of this parable, God is just. Unlike the judge of this parable, God is just. This parable is really unique in the sense that most parables are what? They're an illustration of what God is like. Most parables illustrate what the kingdom of God is like or what the character of God is like, but not, not Luke 18. Not Luke 18. This parable is unique. This parable is meant to illustrate, hear me out, what God is not like, what he's not like. Jesus, with this parable, uses a unique form of logic which puts forth one proposition in which the second proposition to be proven is implicit. He he puts forth one proposition in which the second proposition, which is to be proven, is implicit. In, In other words, Jesus gives a story of an unrighteous judge giving justice, which within that story, this unjust judge giving justice, it's implied that God will give justice. It's implied that God will give justice. And one of the reasons that it's implied in this story about this wicked judge giving justice is because of our first truth. It's because unlike the judge of this parable, God is just. He's a just God. Let's look at the description of this judge of this parable. Look at verse 2. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. I mean, it literally reads this. God not fearing and man not respecting. That's what what this judge is. That's what the the Greek renders it. That's how God not fearing and man not respecting. I mean, this was a vile man. He, he didn't fear God in the sense of being terrified by him, and he, he especially didn't fear God in a reverential sense. I mean, the most important characteristic of a judge, right? You have some sense of judge. This man lacked. God not fearing. God not fearing. Judges who ruled under the Old Testament times were to be, above all, God fears. God fears. They were to be able men. According to Exodus 18, they, they were to be men who, were, who hated bribes, men who loved the law of God, men who were trustworthy, men who did what was right, not in their own eyes, but in the eyes of the God whom they feared. They were to be godly men, judges were to be. After all, think about this, if you didn't fear the one who gave the law, how in the world were you going to be an upholder of the law? 
if you didn't fear the punishment set forth by the lawmaker, why would you uphold the punishments of the law when others would break them? The obvious answer is you wouldn't. And this man didn't. But not only did this man not fear God, God not fearing, the most important characteristic of them all, he also didn't respect man. Again, in, in verse 2, look at it. A, a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He, he didn't respect man. And interestingly, the word respected there is a participle, which emphasized the continual or ongoing action of this judge. Now, listen, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples this. He never respected men, ever. And the idea behind the word respected is to show some type of attention to them. Literally, to, to turn around and show them some courtesy. To turn around and show them some politeness, some type of regard. This judge would have none of it. Wicked man. The scripture said what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and he failed at that. And then it, it said, yes, love God first, but then love your neighbor as yourself, and he also failed at that. So again, this judge was a despicable individual, an ungodly individual. And listen to this, this is crazy. <laughs> we, don't even have to, we don't even have to take anyone else's word for it that this man was ungodly. Some people are ungodly, but they're in denial about it. <laughs> Not this guy. Look at verse four. For, for while he refused, right, to give justice to the crying widow, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God, says him, nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. I mean, it's as if this guy is flaunting this. Have you ever met someone like this? I mean, this is what he wanted to be known for. This was what he wanted to go down in his, this is what they wanted. He wanted this written on his tombstone. God not fearing, man not respecting. He's like this, hear ye all you people. I don't fear God and I don't respect you. I don't fear God and I don't respect you. Just a wicked judge. Wicked. And yet, we're told in this story, the widow keeps coming, and he what? He gives justice. Look at what it says in verse 4. For a while he refused. Of course he refused. He was ungodly. He had no sense of justice. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she... She was a pest. I will give her justice. I will give her justice. He gives it. This wicked man, continue, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And, and, and then the Lord steps in. The, the, the parable stops, and here, here's the point. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? I mean, it's as if Jesus is saying this. It's like, really? <laughs> I mean, seriously? If this guy gives justice, will not God? 
Will not I give justice? Again, this is a, a certain type of argument, a certain type of logic. It's an even more so argument. It's an all the more argument. If this wicked judge dealt out justice on the basis of this widow just continually coming to him, he had no sense of justice. But because she just kept being a pest, if he gave out justice on that basis, then even more so will God deal out justice. If this wicked judge dealt out justice because this widow was wearing him down, then all the more, hear me out, all the more will God deal it out. Jesus says in verse 6, it's like he's trying to grab his disciples' attention. He, he's like, listen to this, guys. Hear what this unrighteous judge says. Listen to this. And will not I give justice? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalm 89, 14. He, he loves, this is God, he loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 33, 5. All his ways, listen to this, I mean, it's like everything, all his ways are just. He, he never does anything wrong. Deuteronomy 32.4. Unlike that wicked judge who, who flaunted his, his lack of respect for God and his, his lack of respect for men, listen what the scripture says about God. The Almighty will not pervert justice. Job chapter 34 verse 12. For I, the Lord, listen to this, for I, the Lord, I, I love justice. Contrary to this other guy, isn't it? Will not I give justice if this guy did it? Of course he will. Jesus will come back one day, ladies and gentlemen, to make all things right. He will come back one day to deal out justice to the unbelieving world, but also, hear me out, to deal out justice to the believing world as well. And what I mean by that is he will give believers all that, he, all that they have waited for. He, he will right their wrongs, as one commentator put it. He will free them from their oppressors. He will free them from their oppressions. This is you and I. He will give them new bodies. He will give them new heavenly rewards. He will wipe away all their sicknesses. He will wipe away all their sadness. He will wipe away all their pains. He will wipe away every tear. And listen to this. He must. He must. Because, first truth, unlike the unrighteous judge of this parable, God is just. Unlike the judge of this parable, he will not only give justice solely on the basis of persistence. Just think about this. Do you think if, if an unrighteous person, right, who didn't want to believe in, 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 in God would just keep coming to him, that he's going to make him righteous? No. What that unrighteous person needs, he needs Jesus Christ's righteousness. Because it's not about impudence. It's about righteousness in God's eyes. He will not give justice solely on the basis of our continual coming. Hear me out. He will give justice because he is just. He will give justice because he is a righteous God. He will always do what he has said he will do he will always do what he has promised to do. And so, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. We are always to pray with this in mind. We are to always pray and never lose heart as we bear in mind this truth that our God must come back because he is a righteous judge. Our God must come back because he said that he will. And his promises, what? 
are irrevocable. Can't change. That's truth number one. Unlike the judge of this parable, God is just. And so, again, this was encouraging to the disciples. Solely on the basis of his character, I'm going to return. I have to. I have to. Truth number two. Unlike the judge of this parable, God cares for us deeply. Hear me out on this. Unlike the judge of this parable, God cares for us deeply. The the unrighteous judge of this parable care for no one, (laughs) right? And because of, of that, we can guarantee that this unrighteous judge of this story, he especially didn't care for this widow. Now stay with me on this. A widow would have been the most unlikely candidate to get this judge to move. God not fearing, man not respecting. And widows in the first century were far from intimidating. Far from intimidating. They were without male protection. And they were extremely vulnerable. And the fact that this widow is being victimized by an adversary only proves that to be true. I mean, this widow had nothing going for her as she approached this unrighteous judge. That especially would have been his perspective. I mean, a widow without male protection? Why would I give her justice? Why would I give her justice? Again, she, she, there was no threat with this woman. No threat. She would have been the very least on his mind for dealing out justice. Again, because she was the least threatening. But listen to this, guys. That's not the case for God and believers. Unlike the, this judge who had contempt on all of men, and especially for this weak, at least from his perspective, this weak and hopeless widow, unlike that, we are cared for as believers by our God. We're cared for. Our Lord cares for us deeply. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not he give just? I mean, he's got to give justice because he's just. But, but not only that, catch, catch the other part of this. Will he not give justice to his what? Elect? Elect? Who cry to him day and night? Ladies and gentlemen, because we are his elect, Because we are his chosen ones, because he has determined to make us his own before the foundations of the earth. Because of these two, not only because he's just, yes, that's first and foremost, but also because he's caring. Because he's loving. Because we are not some insignificant widow. Again, that's how the judge would have viewed the widow coming to him. God doesn't view us like that. He doesn't. Again, how much greater then, guys? How much more? How much more will he give justice? How much more will he free us from our oppression? How much more will he come back for us and make things right? If this this unrighteous judge did this for a widow whom he looked at, especially with contempt, how much more? So much more. Look at verse 7 again. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And he asks another question. He's trying to draw them out. Will he delay over them? I tell you. He's trying to grab their, I, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Speedily. 
Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he has chosen us, you hear that? He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And listen to this verse. Into verse four, going into verse five. In love he predestined. Four words. In love he predestined us. To, to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. We're no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters. We are his elect. We are his, according to Ephesians 1, we are his beloved. He cares for us so deeply. And therefore, we should never stop praying. He cares for us so deeply, and so we should never lose heart concerning the freedom he promises to give us upon his return. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the truths that lead us to always pray. These are the truths that lead us to never lose heart, to never give up on praying for his return because, because of his very nature, because of his very character, because he's a just God and a good and caring God. Because of these great truths, we are not hopeless. Because of these great truths, the disciples, think of them. You're gonna desire to see me set things right, but you're not gonna see it. I'm dying, I'm gonna die, and you don't know when I'm coming back. And then he comes into chapter 18 and gives this parable of these two great truths concerning his character. <laughs> he, he insured them with this parable. It's like he, he wrapped a chain around their waist and anchored them down. On the basis of his character, he insured them that his return for them was going to happen. You don't know when it's coming, but listen to this. It's going to happen. What great truths. Do we believe them? Would we affirm them? And the reason I ask those questions is because, listen to this, belief, trust, faith is the only thing, hear me out, that would take you from the truths of this parable to the application of this parable. There are the truths of this parable. God is just and he cares for us. But then there's the application of this parable. Now, how do you get from here to here? You have to trust God. You have to believe all of who he is, who he says he is. Make no mistake, faith is the linking connection between the truths of this parable and the application of this parable. Verses two through eight is connected to verse one by faith. We close with the heart. Look at verse eight. The heart of this parable. That's why he says this. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedy, speedily. Nevertheless, that's what he says. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, ladies and gentlemen, those who trust in the character of God will never stop praying for the return of God. Those who truly believe in the truths that are communicated in this parable, that he's just and that he cares for us, they will never give up. Because really, it's all about faith. It's all about trusting in who he is. It's all about trusting in what he said he's going to do. Persistence is the mark of true faith, is it not? We saw that last week with the woman. She kept coming. She wouldn't stop. 
We see that here in Luke 18. She kept coming. He, he said, I'm going to give her justice so she, she doesn't beat me down. This woman showed faith in an unrighteous judge. Will we show faith in a just judge? It's faith. If you never stop believing these truths, hear me out, guys. You'll never stop praying for his return. When the world looks as if everything is wrong, right? Everything's going downhill, which it is. And you're longing to see his day. For those of you who have holy affections and who are fighting against sin every day and who just want to, you just want to be made right. You just want to get out of this in the sense of going to see your Lord. And again, you don't, he doesn't come. You don't see him. You're still here. He's coming because he's just, because he's good. You have faith in God? If you believe in the truths of this parable, here we go. We go back to the top. Then you'll always pray. And you'll never lose heart. If you believe in the truths that this parable communicate, that God is just and he's good, you will always pray. And you'll never lose heart. Let's pray. Such an unbelievable parable. Lord, thank you. Lord, we praise you. Father, we bow our knees to you, Lord of all the earth, God of all the universe. Thank you for your truth, your eternal truths. They're so rich. We can never give a, get enough of this book. Father, rebuke us if we ever feel that way. As if we ever heard enough of, of your eternal word. It's so rich. Thank you, Lord. Father, more specifically, thank you for the faith you've given us. And I pray that we would exercise our faith in who you say you are, that you're just, and that you're good. You're not like the judge of Luke 18. And so we know you're going to return. He gave justice on the basis of impudence, on the, on the basis of, of, of the widow's persistence, but you're going to give justice because you're, you're righteous, because you care for us. You're going to return to set all things right because you must do so and because you want to give us all that you have promised us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Anchor us down with these truths Father, when we, when we feel that we, we want you and we don't see you, when we come to Luke 18, pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.